So let's get into it. Last week, as, uh, as Gabe introduced our teaching, um, he asked a question about the, the first word that comes to your mind when you think about Christmas. And the first word that came out of somebody's mouth was, presents! And some of us heard that, and we said to ourselves, oh, isn't that sweet? Children are so innocent, they don't know what not to say. <laughs> right? Some grandma probably heard it and hung her head and said, that's not my grandkid, that's his. <laughs> so let's get it on the table. It is the one thing that takes up a whole lot of our thinking at Christmas season, whether we want it to or not, on all kinds of levels. Not just, what am I going to get? More likely, what I won't be getting, that I wish I could get, that I most long for. And also, what will I get for everybody? All of the sub-questions that go with that, who should I include, what if I don't get for so-and-so, and all that stuff, right? What do I do for people I work with? For, for me, our staff. As most of you know, we have quite a few younger staff, and what do you get them that will be most meaningful to them, given who they are? Since Christmas is all about, we, we don't tell them this, we call them the kids. Since Christmas is all about the kids, we've got to think about, I was thinking this week, what do I get for the kids this year? And I did a lot of thinking. For example, for, for David Holzman, <laughs> what do I get that'll put a smile on that guy's face, <laughs> right? And I figured out that, I realized that David and Maddie, are, are, they love Mexican food. And, and Dave is this kid at heart. He just, his eyes light up when there's kids' toys around. And I, so I found it. I found the perfect gift. How about some dinosaur taco holders? <laughs> right? Kelsey, Miss Kelsey, teacher Kelsey, with the increasingly challenges that she's facing, as you saw last week here, with helping a larger and larger groups of, of elementary school students focus on a Sunday of all days, and so I thought for Kelsey, you know, a, a Monday morning coffee cup would be the real deal for her. And so I, I saw a note in her mailbox this week. Well, let's pretend I saw a note in her mailbox this week that said, Dear teacher, I talked to everyone, so this moving my seat won't help. <laughs> right? Well, maybe that's a good one. Then I thought, no, you know, maybe sometimes after a Sunday, there's these parents who really want to talk to her. It's like, ah. Uh. So I thought I'd get her a a t-shirt to wear for a parent conversation. <laughs> you don't scare me. I'm a teacher. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> or, or, or maybe for Monday morning, these are the tears of my students. <laughs> what, about, what about Kyle and Gabe, our, our youth leaders? Kyle and Gabe, yeah, oh, oh, you're right, man. <laughs> Kyle and Gabe, I mean, Kyle and Gabe are, are committing their lives to help change lives. It's awesome. But did you know that Gabe was also into disc golf? I mean, Gabe is really big time into disc golf. I bet, I, I, would, I would bet this morning that Gabe, right now, even in winter, has more disc golf discs in his trunk than anyone. I would bet that he has more than all of us put together in his trunk right now. So maybe, maybe a t-shirt that said something like, I, you know what? But then I thought, no, no, that's not a t-shirt for Gabe because Gabe actually probably is so good he never hits a tree. Not like me. And so I asked Caitlin, his wife-to-be, and she thought something more along the lines of this cup. It might look like I'm listening to you, but in my head I'm playing disc golf. <laughs> and I thought, 
No, that's her gift, not mine. So since every guy, every young guy needs one more black t-shirt, right? So here's, here's the gift for Gabe. Game of Throws. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle. Well, speaking of changing lives, I found the cup. It said, I change lives. Perfect. Until I saw what the rest of it said. I'm an MMA fighter. I change lives. Uh, maybe not. But, but Kyle's a scientist. Kyle loves science. And, and, and Kyle's leading our Youth Mexico mission trip again this year. And so how, I was thinking, you know, how about a, giving Kyle the gift of an idea for a science-oriented fundraiser? And I found it. Kyle will love it. There's a new, th- new product out this year. And I thought we'd just get a whole bunch of them and, and, and resell them. Dehydrated water. Empty contents of can into one gallon of water, stir until dissolved, chill and serve. <laughs> Ellerslie people will buy that for sure. Yes. Then there's Colton. Colton. Now, as, as you've probably noticed, there, there's something about some of our young staff this year. It's the beards. What's with the beards? Our young staff. Uh, just so you know, it's, it's not a competition. Well, let me clarify that. They're guys, so it is a competition, whether it's dated or not, right? But the competition's over, guys. Nobody's going to grow a nice beard like Colton. Sorry. So, for Colton, well, if it, was, if it was last year, it was easy. They lived in a basement suite, no room for a tree, and so I would have just bought Colton some, some Christmas decorations for the tree, <laughs> for, his, for his beard. But they're not a house. I had to think a little deeper. And, and I did. I, th- I, th- I thought about this a lot. It's not about the beard. It's about what the beard says. And as I thought about that, I was amazed at what I realized Colton's beard was saying. And I found the coasters to prove it. What does it say about his marriage? I wear the beard in this relationship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what does it say that Colton's thinking about you on a Sunday morning? Do not look directly at the beard. Um, supervisor meeting. Me, you know, me and Colton, is our meetings, it's all about the beard. I'm saying to Colton, Colton, remember, with a great beard comes great responsibility. And what Colton's saying back to me with his beard is, Mel, keep calm. Let the guy with the real beard handle it. It's all about the beard. I, I was going to keep this just about our younger staff, but something happened this week that was, that was uh, well, it, it was so moving. It touched me really deeply. Doesn't it, doesn't it just give you a warm feeling when, when someone you work with really closely has put a lot of thought into what he gives you? As you know, D- Dave and I are pretty much attached at the hip a lot of times. As a matter of fact, matter of fact, Dave calls, calls himself my work wife. <laughs> now, when I hear that, what I take that to mean is that he thinks he has the freedom to tell me whatever he feels like telling me, and I have to accept it. <laughs> anyway, the other day he came into my office with his, with his hands behind his back, and, and, and he said, so Mel, you know, I, I, I need to say I'm sorry. He says that, I'm sorry. Um, I, I've been your work wife for so long and I haven't given you a picture of me to put on the shelf beside that picture of LaDonna. <laughs> and, and so given that it's taken so long, 
I, I decided I would give you one better than a picture. The, the Dave bobblehead doll. <laughs> and then he reached out his other hand with another one and he said, I'm going to let you choose. <laughs> oh, Dave. Anyway, we, we do think a lot about giving at Christmas, don't we? But do we think well? Do we think holistically about how, about what, about to whom we give? Because giving is not just about Christmas. Really getting our hearts and our heads around the giving piece about what kind of statements we want our giving to make is a really key ingredient in the recipe for a thriving life. Giving is the key to a thriving personal life. It's a key to thriving relationships. It's a key to a thriving community and a thriving, thriving global community. In a thriving environment, there's a whole lot of giving going on. And so what better time to talk about giving and the big picture of giving than at a time of year when giving is on our minds. And, and we, you know, we don't have, I, the board didn't ask me to talk about giving this morning. They didn't tell me if they did, I probably would have said no. Uh, I rarely say no to the board, but I, but I, I can't talk. We, I don't have much choice this morning because it just so happens that as we complete our study of Paul's letter to the church in the city of Philippi, Giving is how it all ends. Giving is what is on Paul's mind. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Just so you remember where we've been in this book. Uh, let me just share with you some of the high points. The high point, the, 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 the mountain top in the book of Philippians from a big picture perspective, from the perspective of how God's story is supposed to drive how we see and live our story. The high point is in chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. I'm going to read those for you just to remind them to you and bring you back to the peak. I, I hope some of you have at least memorized it this year. Chapter 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. A criminal's death. Death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him to the, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And how are we summarizing that core piece this morning, putting it together with the rest of, of Paul's teaching and the New Testament? In Jesus at Christmas, what we celebrate is that the unlimited God, the all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, the creator God who is outside of time and space, limited himself 
became part of his creation, including the ultimate limitation and humiliation, a criminal's death on a cross. Why? So that he could draw us into his limitless life and his endless love. And as we live in that perspective, as we focus our hearts and minds to live in light of and to live out of this reality, our lives will increasingly be marked with some of those things that we, that we associate with at Christmas. And, and all of those things are found in chapter 4. Two weeks ago, Dave talked about what most of us are looking for and wishing we had at Christmas. And we think about at Christmas is peace and joy, a peace-filled joy. Or is it a joy-filled peace? Whatever. which comes out of or leads to, as Gabe talked about last week, a contented heart. Isn't that what we would like to live this Christmas? Isn't that what you would like to be known for? A person of peace-filled joy with a contented heart, not with a heart with, with a lot of static messing up our heads, a heart with a lot of heavy burdens, looming large. It's all about letting something else loom larger than the big things that demand our focus and weigh us down. Seeing that in Jesus, the unlimited God limited himself to draw me into his limitless life and endless love. And when we discipline our minds and hearts to live in that reality, as our big reality, there's something else that will happen. And it's where Paul moves to at the end of the book. We will be able to, we will be committed to unleashing Christmas in the world around us. We will be known for grateful generosity. And that's where Paul takes us today beginning. At, well, it actually begins at verse 10 when he talks about contentment. Contentment is almost a little detour to what he's talking about. Um, a key sign of a contented heart is, well, to put it in terms of our values, generous worship. A disciplined open-handedness in giving. Not a scarcity mindset, but an abundance mindset. The unlimited life of God. Beginning with how we manage the financial resources God has given us. So, with that as the big picture, follow along as I read from Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to begin at verse 10, and I'm going to skip the contentment part and come, come back to uh, start to verse 14. Verse 10, chapter 4. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia... Philippi is in the province of Macedonia. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Those gifts are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing 
to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. Think limitlessness in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So Paul ends this book back to the way he began the book. The main reason for writing this book to this church. Why does he write to this one church from a prison? This letter, more than anything else, is a thank you letter. It's a thank you for the way this church has encouraged him and an affirmation letter to continue on the same trajectory no matter what happens to him. So I'm so thankful that coming towards the end of the year, the calendar year anyway, when I'm forced to talk about giving, I can talk about giving in a thank you kind of way as well. You guys are, are rising up to helping us do our mission in the way you give. Thank you. And I want to teach this morning in light of what this is doing as you do it, what this is doing in you and for you, and why this is so important to continue. In chapter 1, verse 3, he has started by saying, I thank my God every time I remember you, and all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That word partnership was literally a money word, a, a financial word. They were key, in Paul's mind, key silent partners in Paul's ministry ventures. And now as he closes this letter, he comes back to this affirmation piece. He affirms them for how they're living out the power of the unlimited God who limited himself in Jesus to draw us into his limitless life and love. They're living that out by sacrificially investing their very limited resources in his mission. And he encourages them to keep on that pattern. And so... When he says in verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no way to show it. What, what, he's, what he's doing is, is he's saying that you had showed your concern. He's not saying you didn't were concerned for a period of time. The renewal of concern was the renewal of a way to find, them, find a way to get that money to him. You see, this financial gift was something that it couldn't, there was no e-transfers. There was no postal system. The only way you could get that gift to him is if somebody left Philippi, went 800 miles. How many kilometers in that? Eight times, whatever. How many kilometers 800 miles? 1,300 kilometers. There we go. See, my work wife. I told you. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, 1,300 kilometers. They had to get that money. And, and, uh, they were poor. This church was one of the poorest church churches that Paul had started. They had nobody they could send with this money that they had been laying aside every week for the mission of Paul. It was only when one of Paul's key assistants who had been with him in Philippi, Epaphroditus, had come along. They had somebody to trust so that they'd actually send this money to Paul. But as we can piece together from the letters that Paul writes to the church at Corinth, where, where Paul uses this church in Philippi as an example, they'd been putting this money away faithfully for several years, a bit of money every week to send to Paul for the mission of Jesus in spite of the fact that they were poor. They could have used that money many times over for their own needs. 
And so what Paul is thankful for and what warms his heart is not what, so much what the gift is going to allow him to do. He's thankful for what the gift tells him and reveals to him about them and what he knows that God is going to do for these people because of their giving. What, what does that say about them? What does it tell them? How they have caught on to this gospel of the unlimited God becoming limiting himself to draw us into his limitless life and love. Tells us four things. Number one, it gives us a key indicator of the unleashed life. Number two, the underlying perspective of one who was willing to unleash his life in this way. And number three, the disciplines of an unleashed life. And number four, the essential rhythm of an unlimited life unleashed. So let's talk about that one key indicator of a heart of contentment that unleashes the limitless life of God in us. The key indicator is, is related um, to, the, the key indicator is related to that key word in this letter that we've been talking about. What is it? If you guys have, uh, some of you here today and read the book of Philippians many times, you'll probably say, well, it's joy and rejoice. Well, there's a word, a verb, that is used more often than joy and rejoice, and, and it's the word uh, phroneo, okay? Phroneo, which is a thinking word. It's a word that comes from a Greek word, which is the same word that a word diaphragm comes from. It's, it refers to a core thing, something you don't see, but that's underneath driving a lot of what you do. Phroneo, the thinking behind our thinking, underneath our thinking, that inner core level of, of beliefs, that we're often not aware of, that determines what we see, what we think and feel about what we see. We do know that it's our actions and behaviors that reveal our hearts, don't we? Our thinking, our, our, our priorities. Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we know that. It's the things that we do and say that reveal our hearts. And our part in working with our hearts is what Paul calls phroneo, developing a disciplined mindset to think in a certain way. And Paul's concern in this book is that we learn to work from a heart set that is shaped not by the things that happen to us or don't happen to us, but by the big thing that God has done in Jesus for us to draw us into His limitless life and love. You know, sometimes we talk about the difficulty of forgiving someone. Forgiveness is possible when I realize how totally I've been forgiven. How free God's big grace is. The limitless love I have received that I get to pass on in Jesus' name. It's, it's not automatic. As you know, if you've tried to forgive and learn to forgive someone, it takes continual discipline to come back and say, no, I will. you don't feel it right away. You may never feel it. It's what happens when we talk to ourselves instead of listening to ourselves at an inner level. When we realize that contentment is rooted in what we have in Jesus, what He has done for us and brought us into, and it is root, it's rooted in that, but it is revealed by some outward things, including our giving. So, Just a personal question in terms of this 
pers- this uh, uh, indicator. What is, what is your giving pattern, your financial giving pattern to the work of God say about you? Because you see, it's, it's your inner priorities that do drive you. What does it say about your inner priorities? Let's move on to talk about the perspectives, the perspective of an unleashed life. Before we talk about some of the, some of the practices, the disciplines of a life unleashed, we, we have to skip down to the end of this passage, sort of. Paul's not just thankful they're thinking of him, not just thankful that they're thinking of the mission. Paul is rejoicing that in their giving, they're revealing something very powerful about how they have worked this gospel truth into their hearts. Our passage wraps up with that, that final, what we've called a coffee cup verse in, in the book, verses that we like to, to use as sort of pump up and inspirational slogans. My God will supply all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. According to what? According to the limitless resources and endless love that he has drawn into us into in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, the unlimited God has drawn us into his limitlessness. It's there for us. Now, if you've read this before, I'm sure you've thought this through or heard this many times. He hasn't just given us out of his resources, but he gives to us according to his resources. You know the difference between that, don't you? If, if you're going to go to a restaurant for lunch after church today and you give the ter- t- uh, server a tip of $5 or $10 or whatever, you're giving from your resources. You're giving out of your resources. It comes from you. It's, it's yours, and you're giving it away. But if you are with a billionaire who owns a company that's still making money in this economy, and he was to give the server a piece of paper with a signature on it, and a telephone number to contact, and another number that didn't have a dollar sign in front of it, but it had a percent sign in front of it, and the contract said, equal partner. That's giving according to his wealth. That would be giving in accordance with his resources. That is what God did in Jesus at Christmas. We got 100% of everything God is for us, in us, and it's got to be through us. That's what he's saying. When we really get that Christmas and Easter punch that the unlimited God limited himself, not just by becoming human, but becoming obedient to a criminal's death for us, to draw us into the unlimited, limitless life and endless overcoming love of God, we will have this phrenao, an inner orientation that drives everything, a foundational awareness of how unlimited God's resources for us are that, that will allow us and inspire us and drive us to unleash our resources for His purpose. That is what Paul is so cranged up about. And that's why he uses this church as an example. Now, we like that promise. 
God will supply all your need according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. But whenever we read a promise or a contract, you know, it's easy to camp on those big lines, right? And not read the, the rest of the... Well, it's not really fine print. It's, it's, it's in the same print. It's just it's leading to this. The context in which that promise is made. I had a, uh, an almost scary lesson quite a, quite a few years ago. We were living on the edge of a small city in forestry country. And, and uh, on the other side of our street was the end of town. Nothing for 120 kilometers except bush, trees, forest. 120 kilometers of it. One very hot and dry summer day. The forest on the other, there, there was a, on the other side of the street, there was a bit of a runoff gully and then forest. On the other side of that gully, just down about half a kilometer down from where we lived, a fire started on a windy day and it started getting under control, out of control. The forest service was in high gear. Three water bombers were assigned immediately to try to keep that fire out of our subdivision. It was a Saturday afternoon, everyone was home, and we were treated to an air show. It was amazing that the, the three crescents that were sort of just downhill from us, they were already being evacuated, evacuated one at a time. They were evacuating the crescent right next to ours, and we would be next. The bombers were focusing on preventing that fire from getting any further, which meant they were targeting almost right across from our house. And six of us guys from our neighborhood got on the roof of my house to get the best seats. Along with the three water bombers was a bird dog plane. Some of you who come from forestry country uh, know what a bird dog plane is. When there's a fire like that, there's a small um, agile, high-powered little plane that guides these bombers. And so these three bombers would take turns uh, dumping their load, going to the river, filling up, coming back, dumping their load. And the bird dog plane, uh, the pilot of the bird dog plane is running the show. And he would, as these bombers were starting to descend, we'd see them slowly start descending toward the fire. And all of a sudden, from behind the bomber, this bird dog plane came right in front of them. And we could see the face of the guy in the bird dog plane. We watched the intensity, whatever. He gave him the signal to drop it. And then he'd just go up and come back and come underneath the next guy. It was a show for an hour and a half. And one guy in the middle of this suddenly said, hey, what do we do if they're going to evacuate us? Oops. <laughs> Are we ready to go? And another guy said, well, I guess we just grab a few things and thank God for insurance. Yep, we're all covered. Every one of us. Same insurance. Covered. Fortunately, they stopped the fire, and the next week, the most detail-oriented of my neighbors came to me and said, Mel, have you checked your insurance? I said, no, I don't have to. I know I have comprehensive insurance. The guy said, so do I. But have you read the fine print? We are not covered for an act of God, like a forest fire. Oh, my goodness. None of us on that street were covered. The week after that, every single one of us visited an insurance agent. Now, with the Bible, it's, it's not the fine print. It's, it's there, 
But it's a little word we might miss in English that begins this verse. This promise is, is, is a promise. But how comprehensive is it? You see that little word that begins the sentence? It's the word and. And. Ah, it's just a throwaway little word, right? Everybody knows what it means. It sort of means, yeah, and in addition to. No, this word here is a little bit different word. It does not mean in addition to. It's a little word that means actually because of that. On account of that, God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Because of what? Because you have given to God's mission at personal cost. When many people think you can't afford it, you were wondering how you could make it. You discovered that you can never outgive God. You gave in keeping with, in accordance with God's grace to you, and God is going to give back to you in accordance with the riches of His grace in Christ Jesus. You see, the point of this verse is that God, out of His abundance, will meet my needs when I'm a sacrificially generous person for His sake. That's why in a thriving community, there's a whole lot of giving going on. Because it's God that keeps on giving when we give to Him. This promise blows a hole in some of our excuses for not being faithful givers, doesn't it? Some of us say, well, you know, I can't afford to give now. Uh, you can't afford to? Or you can't trust that God will come through for you if you live in and live out His generous grace to you. Folks, this is something you have to start when you're young. When you're in college, trying to pay your way through. When you get your first job out of college, trying to pay off your debt. When you first get married, the longer you wait to start, the harder it will get. The issue is only two things. Number one, what's your priority? And how are you going to declare it? And how much are you going to trust God? Th those are the issues. There's another excuse we use. No, this one's a real spiritual sounding one, by the way. Well, I give in other ways. I don't give my money. I give my time. Hmm. Let's just play that out a little bit. You're married. What would happen at home? If, well, let's, let's reverse this a little bit. You got home one day and your wife said, can I have at least a bit of your time tonight? And you said, well, I give in other ways. I give you a lot of money instead of my time. Does that fly? Let's, let's come back to the excuse we use with God. She says to you, you know, I love this time we spend together, but at some point we're going to need some money and you're going to have to get a job. And you're hurt. I'm giving you my time instead of my money. Does that fly? You know, I have looked and looked for some way to read God's word which would validate that line. It's not there. God's not buying it. If anyone could have used that line, it's the Philippian church. God wants both. He wants all of us. He wants our time. He wants you living as a servant, his representative all the time. He wants 100% of your time, by the way, not just a few volunteer hours. He wants you to use all your time and do things in such a way that, well, we'll see later, such a way. Um, do you want to be known by God as someone who's generous with him as he is with you? God gave me the gift of a wife who would not let me wuss out on this one. 
When we got married and shortly thereafter went to graduate school in the States, we had, you know, we were one of those whole lot of, a little bit of money and a whole lot of time kind of couples. And, and when I paid for my first semester in graduate school, I, 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 it, it uh, whew, took, the, took the wind out of my sails. And I thought I was doing my wife a favor. I didn't want her to bear a bigger burden than she already was. I didn't want her to be burdened about wondering if we could pay for the next semester's tuition on top of all of our living expenses. And, and, and we had discovered by that time that a lot of our peers there, they, they were being funded by their church to be there. For some, it was just tuition. For others, it was tuition and housing. All they had to do was earn enough to eat. And there were times when we said, what's wrong with us? Why, why doesn't, is something wrong with us that God, God doesn't give to us like that? I felt bad for her, and, and so I thought I might have found a way to rationalize a commitment that we had made together to God. And you see, these friends, here was my logic. So these friends are being funded by people who are giving to God's work. So what if we just cut one, one of those links out of the equation? What if we just say, well, okay, we are giving to God's work when we pay for tuition, I put that to LaDonna just to see if that would help her out a little bit in this burden she was carrying. Uh, would it help? Do you think if we considered my tuition or at least part of it as, as our giving to God? I don't remember the exact words she said, but I checked it with her this week to see if I was accurate in what I heard. Here's what I heard. You wuss! Are you kidding me? Education for ministry is not ministry. I want to live by trusting God to take care of me when I obey Him. Okay then. It was fascinating because do you know how much God provided for us out of the riches of His grace? Sometimes we only give God one way to provide for us, right? Cash has got to be there. God is way more creative than that. He gave us work. We were Canadians, but she was a nurse, and she had a good job. Sometimes, sometimes it's hard to see work as a gift from God, right? A lot of work. Well, not when you don't have a job, it's not. And even though I was a Canadian and, and couldn't work except in a very limited way, I had all the work I could take on. Sometimes three jobs at once. It was hard. We got weary, and I, when I would go home late at night to bring her home, and, and we got into our complex, and there was all of our peers sitting around the pool, drinking whatever. It was like, thanks, God, I think. But when we look back on it, the work we both got was God's gift in way more ways than money. All of our work set us up in ways that have paid dividends over the years many, many times over. Do you know what happens when nobody, when you're not counting on other people to, to fund you? You don't owe anybody anything, even in any kind of relational way, right? There's no hooks on you. It was freeing. Some of the jobs I did, I worked in a school bookstore, which meant I got 40%, 40 to 60% off on all my books. Well, Okay, is that giving or is that costing more? I'm not sure. But anyway, it, it was amazing. I'm still using the books that I bought then. 
I worked as a paid intern in a church setting that has influenced me and prepared me just as much as the classes that I took. I was a graduate teaching assistant in, in, in school, and it, it, what that did is it drilled into my mind and heart some perspectives and disciplines in a way that just studying and listening would never have. I was a manager of several student housing complexes, which, which do you know what I got paid for? I got paid for just being there, being on call. I could study most of the time. I went to the housing manager. I said, you're paying me way too much. I'm not earning that. She said, trust me, you're worth every penny. Just don't come back to me again with that problem. And LaDonna's job set her up in ways that we would only see much later, how God multiplied, multiplied back to us many, many times over what we sort of gave up, our little things that we gave up for him. And in the years our income was expanding, we had the delight of increasing our not just our giving, but our giving percentage every year. Not just the amount, but the percent of our income. More than we had ever imagined possible as we lived in and lived out of the richness of the love of a God who had given us all of himself in spite of our fickle-heartedness and sometimes cold-heartedness and lack of trust. I was talking this week with a young woman in her 30s who, who has a tough life and and just this week, she said to me, you know, it's, it's only this year. I wish, I'd, I wish I'd seen this when I was younger. It's only this year that I'm starting to see some of the ways God has provided for me and prepared for me, some of which I resented, but now I'm seeing how rich His grace to me has been. That's an unleashed perspective that comes from a heart that's been unleashed by accepting and receiving the limitless life, being drawn into the endless love and grace of Jesus. And when we see it that way, you know what God sees? Here's what God sees. Verse 18, God sees our giving not as money. He sees it as a tangible declaration of our trust in Him and as a meaningful act of worship to him, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So let's forget about this Christmas, well, not, not entirely about this Christmas, but let's think to next Christmas. As we come to this point next year, what if you got a letter from Jesus, like Paul writes to the Philippians, about your giving as it relates to your trust of him, your obedience to him, your heart of worship for him? What would you want him to be able to say next year at this time? As you think about what statement you would like to make or would have, or, or have made by, by Jesus about you, chances are there's a bit of hesitation, a question. You know, I know what I'd like, but how do I do that? Perhaps, it's, perhaps you've gone beyond a question to a fixed mindset saying, well, you know, that's impossible for me. Remember, if it was possible for a poor church at Philippi, it's possible for you. But it will require... Some disciplines, some practices. Let's just see how Paul surfaces. Very quickly, we're going to see how Paul surfaces some of these practices as he affirms the Philippians. He knows what they have done. He knows that their giving is generous giving that is off the top. Okay? It's a priority. It's implied in this passage, but in the first letter to the church in Corinth, where Paul prescribes for the Corinthian church to live like the church in Philippi, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, he says, set aside on the first day of the week. So their payment came to them on the last day of the week. So what he's saying is, psh, off the top, number one, set something aside. These people have been doing that for years. 
which comes out of a principle in the book of Proverbs, which is what was called the offering of the first fruits, the first, first harvest. You got to give to God, even though you don't know if there's going to rain come knock everything else out. You've got to give to God off the top. That's the number one thing. It makes sense, doesn't it? If, if you wait until the end, there's nothing left. We've all lived there. But on the other hand, it makes sense because if it's a priority, if it's of first importance, it's got to be of first importance. It's got to be the first to leave your account. For LaDonna and I, it's, it's helped to decide ahead of time what our giving will be. And, and in our spreadsheet, we don't even consider the percent that we've decided to give. We don't even consider that in our income. That's already taken off before we look at the spreadsheet, before we look at the 100%. Because if it's on your mind there, if it's, if it's, if it's there, you're going to want to spend it. It's already taken off. It's got to be a discipline or it's not going to happen. There's a wonderful article this week. I don't know if you saw it in, in the Toronto Star. It came on my newsfeed. Five core principles that will lead... Five core financial principles that lead to wealth for anyone. Great article. Five things. Don't spend what you don't have. Number one. In other words, don't buy into the credit thing. Oh, I'll pay it next month. This doesn't come out of the Bible. This is common sense. Number two. Make just a little more money each year. You know? Some way, try and find a way to get just a little bit more money each year. Number three, listen to this. Save at least 10% of everything you make. Before your paycheck evaporates, take at least 10% of it and set it aside for your future, specifically for your retirement. Number four, use only good debt. Mortgage has traditionally been considered good debt. Not so much, not so sure much anymore. Not too much considered good debt anymore. Number five, listen to this, marry or partner well. Not somebody who's going to make a whole bunch of money before you, but somebody who's going to operate out of the same value system as you. This is, this is common sense. You got to start young and do that. What I would do is I'd just fudge those numbers a little bit, add a little bit for giving, and you got it. You can do it if you start young. So where do I give? Well, to the mission of the church body that you're part of should be your priority. That's where you start. LaDonna and I have lived over the years that the majority of our giving automatically is to the ministry of whatever church we're part of and through that ministry. And when there are special projects that come along in church or other things that grab us, we give on top of that to those projects in addition to our faithful commitment to the mission of the local church. That's our, that's our bonus stuff that we, that we try and say, okay, I can, I can give up this for another year in order to, yeah, that's what you do. Number one, it's got to come off the top. Number two, it's got to be faithful, long-haul, continuous practice. It's, it's not an emotional response. These people, verses 15 of 16, Paul says, you did this from the time you became a believer. It's, it's 10 years now since that day. When, when, when Paul's writing, it's 10 years. And they've, for 10 years, they've been doing this. They did it more than once giving to him, but they were setting aside weekly. You know, sometimes we sort of wait for the spirit to move, which is, by the way, that's a sure sign that we're confusing small s spirit with big s spirit because 
If the Spirit has spoken to us already, we don't have to wait for the Spirit to move us, okay? We're talking about little spirit then. The way he will most likely move is to move on to blessing someone else who is obeying him. It's true. Faithful, regular, and number three, sacrificial. It's got to cost something. I'm, I'm often asked, well, how much should I give? I don't know. The number one thing I do know is it should cost you. It should be sacrificial. Start at, maybe aim for 10%, and usually the cost is that it costs us is something pretty dear to us. Something that's on that border of desire and need, right? Sometimes that's a pretty big border. A desire that we want to make a need. Uh, one of my professors used to say, say no to yourself every single day about something just to stay in the habit. It's a good habit because it helps us discern the difference between desire and needs. And if you do these three well, these three disciplines well, totally trusting God's promise, developing a general lifestyle, you're going to add two other disciplines to that. It's going to, you're going to be forced to. Number four, continually reevaluate what it is you really need. Because that desire and need thing just sort of desires slip to the point of need so quickly. Well, everybody else in my neighborhood has it. Uh, that doesn't mean it's a need, right? First Timothy, Paul says, if we had food and clothing, that's enough to be content. If you're operating out of a heart of contentment, food, clothing, your, your basic provisions, you got enough to give. Every parent knows. Every parent knows. If, if they don't know it, they'll discover it maybe too late. But every parent knows that you don't give a child everything they think they need, right? What they need most is to not have everything that they think they need given to them. Because when you give a child everything they think they need, you get weak and self-centered kids. God does not want weak and self-centered children. So he doesn't give everything that we think we need. We got to go back and prioritize. Is this a need or is this a desire? And number five, discipline, is to make a conscious decision to exercise the trust muscle. Larry Osborne, I, I love the way he puts it. When you give God out of what's left, you may be doing it with thanksgiving, but you're not doing it out of faith. Disciplined giving will exercise the trust muscle. And is that a bad thing? No, it's a powerful thing. So these are the disciplines of a generous heart, the outflow of living a life unleashed by being drawn into the unlimited life and endless love of God in Jesus. As Paul signs off, he does so as often with a benediction. Oops, with two benedictions. He lands this thing twice. And I think I know why. Because it's in these two benedictions together that we see the rhythm of a generous, unleashed life. The rhythm of a heart that is living in the limitless life and unending love of God. Number one, verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
You see, when I release all, every single part of who I am, including my goals and desires in everything I do, the, the way I talk about God to people, the very way I talk to people about life, the way I talk to my heart about life is that I'm living for the glory of the God who gave himself for me to draw me into his endless life and love. He is above all. He is over all. He is faithful and righteous and sovereign and the ruler of everything. He is the God of all gods and the king of all kings. And he has come to me in Jesus to draw me into that life. I, I love the way that wonderful Christmas carol by Casting Crowns puts it. Is there room in your heart for God to write his story? You can come as you are, but it may set you apart when you make room in your heart and trade your dreams for his glory. And it's a Christmas time, particularly as we process this whole bigger idea of giving and gifts, what they're all about, that those dreams are exposed, isn't it? Philippians, that's how you're living. Keep it up. Ellerslie, I see that in the way many of us are living. Let's inspire us to keep on. Give up all my dreams for his glory. And verse 23, the grace, the overflowing, forgiving grace for your failure, the empowering grace for your weakness, the unending providing grace for your need, the lift your head up restoring grace for your sense of not enoughness, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Amen and amen. Christmas, unleash it, let it flow. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your limitless love in giving everything to us by giving all of yourself for us. And Father, I pray that as we process the unbelievable reality of that, how you limited yourself and sacrificed yourself, that you will help us live the flow of an unleashed life for the glory of God by the grace of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.